No matter how perfect the gift, if the person who receives it doesn't know how to use it, it can be a disaster. I want to show you a video clip of a, uh, a young lady who gave her father a wonderful gift. <laughs> Wasn't the look on the, I think it might have been a granddaughter's face, when her grandfather used the iPad as a chopping board, rinsed it, and then put it in the dishwasher. Now, some of you can be fairly connected to that grandfather after lockdown and having frustration with your technology. And many of you may have wanted to put your iPad in the dishwasher to teach it a lesson. You know, it's exactly the same with us. God gives us good gifts, and we have this amazing ability to ruin them, to twist them, to warp them. I learned that lesson from our new puppy, Tobin, who's seven months. And so when you give our dog a gift, he is now old enough to totally destroy it. The first pig lasted about two months. The second one lasted a day. Because it's in his instinct to chew and destroy gifts. And sin has a grip on our hearts as well. And so it's in our instinct that when God gives us a good gift that we end up destroying it, whether it be an iPad or a very annoying squeaky pig. Whatever the gift, we have this ability to make it worse. It's almost as if God shouldn't bother giving us gifts because we are so clever at ruining them. But our Heavenly Father loves to give good gifts. And so he has a plan to give us gifts for us not to destroy, warp, or twist them. And in this passage in Ephesians chapter 1, we've been looking at these gifts, these gifts from the heavenly realms. And God has a plan so we won't destroy them. Now, the first gift we looked at a few weeks ago was adoption as daughters and sons. And the second gift uh, is redemption, rescue from slavery to sin and death. But we have the ability to twist and warp even these gifts. And that's why we have the third gift that we're going to look at today, which is the seal of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, on this Pentecost Sunday, as we think about that first outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we pray that you will help us to understand what the seal of the Holy Spirit means and that we can experience him afresh today through Christ our Lord. Amen. So what's the seal of the Holy Spirit? Well, we're going to start diving in at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal and the promise of the Holy Spirit. The seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. So this is the third gift out of the three that are mentioned in this very, very long sentence that starts at verse 3 and goes all the way through to verse 14. And in this verse, verse 13 and 14, we're told three things about the seal of the Holy Spirit. First of all, we're told that it was promised. The Holy Spirit was long promised. It wasn't at the ascension when Jesus went up to the right hand of the Father. God said, oh, you're here. Wonderful, Jesus. Now, what should we do with those believers down there? I know. Holy Spirit, you got some time? Can you go down and give them a hand? Now, it's nothing like that. It was always in God's plan, his A plan, to send the Holy Spirit. And he promised it centuries beforehand. And we'll just have a 
brief look at some of those promises in the Old Testament that show that the Holy Spirit was coming. Ezekiel 36, 26. And this one deals with this whole issue of how can we not destroy God's good gifts. Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so this answers two questions. First of all, well, tells us what our problem is and then tells us how God's going to solve that problem. The problem is that we have a heart of stone. What should be soft towards God is callous and unyielding, even rebellious. And this is why we tend to ruin all God's gift. Our inner core is gripped, it's strangled by sin. And so what we need is radical surgery. What we need is a heart transplant. And here the prophet is looking ahead to that time when our hearts of stone would become healthy, soft, functioning hearts of flesh. And it's done because God will put his spirit in us. And that's how he's going to get rid of our heart of stone, is his very own spirit, a part of God, comes to live in us and soften our heart. And that's how we can use God's gifts without destroying them. When the Holy Spirit comes in and starts to transform our hearts. We see the promise of the Holy Spirit not only here, but in Joel. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And again, we have this promise of the Holy Spirit. And notice it's not promised just to a king or to the high priest or a special few. It's promised to all sons and daughters, old men and young men, even servants, even the marginalized will receive the promise of this Holy Spirit. One further verse to show that promise, and that's from Luke chapter 24, verse 29. The very last words that Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke are these. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power on high. And Jesus is saying in just a few days, the long-promised Holy Spirit will be here and be upon you, and you will be clothed with power. And of course, Jesus was ascended and, and sat at the right hand of the throne of God, and then 10 days later, at the Jewish festival of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the long-promised Holy Spirit came. And wow, what an amazing coming that was. And Miles read that so well. When the day of Pentecost came, this is Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that was the day when the church was born. And that was the day when our hearts of stone started to be transformed. And we now have this blessing that those before Pentecost never had. The ability to receive God's gifts and to use them well. 
So that's the first thing we see about the Holy Spirit. The second thing in this passage is that Holy Spirit is acting as a seal. Now, we're not talking about a seal that fixes leaks. <laughs> you know, you seal up a leak. We're talking about a wax seal that you put on a document. Now, we don't see those very often, do you? Uh, like the graphic that's up there, you might not be able to see, but it's an envelope with a, black, uh, with a little red wax seal on it. Now, we don't see them very often, but we do. In fact, I had one uh, in my inbox uh, emailed to me just a few weeks ago. My son, Michael, sent me this email during lockdown with his newly awarded university degree. And there at the bottom of this document, next to the official signatures, was the university seal. A very proud moment for his father and family. Unfortunately, uh, his graduation was a casualty of lockdown. Judy and I had flights booked and we were going to catch up with family and, and it just became an email. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, and we celebrate with our son and we'll hopefully catch up and maybe Victoria University will do, do something anyway. But there it is, a seal authenticating Michael's degree. And so when we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, God is authenticating you and I as Genuine believers, if you have the Holy Spirit, then you are the real deal. You are not an imposter. You are not pretending. You are not faking it. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you are authentically a son and a daughter of God. So it's the first thing we see about a seal. But a seal uh, also completes a transaction. Even today, legal documents are stamped with an official seal to signify the transaction is finished and final. And so Christ's work on the cross is exactly this. It is finished and final. Our debts are cleared. Our sins are forgiven. There is no question about it because we have the seal of the Holy Spirit that's saying the work on the cross is complete. Another thing that a seal does is it indicates security and protection. Remember the soldiers guarding Jesus' tomb. They had rolled a stone in front of the entrance so no one could get in, but then they added a seal. And the seal would have in all likelihood been made of soft clay, and they would have stamped an imperial Roman seal into that soft clay and then with rope attached it to the, the stone and the cave wall. Anyone breaking the seal would incur the wrath of the empire. The whole Roman Empire's wrath would fall on you if you broke that seal. So having the Holy Spirit signifies that we belong to God and he protects us. We are safe. If you mess with a child of God, it's not the Roman Empire you have to deal with. It's the God of the universe. So a seal represents that you are safe and protected in the hands of God. And finally, a seal acts as a guarantee, as a personal pledge. So if you receive an official document that's got a seal on it, that seal is associated with a person or an institution. They're all unique. And that institution or that person guarantees that whatever that document is on about, that they will honour. And so if you get a bank document with an official seal saying that's going to put significant amount of money in your account, don't we wish 
It's going to happen because that seal is a guarantee. And we think, well, what guarantee? What what are we being guaranteed? A guarantee is always a promise for the future. Haven't we got the promise of the Holy Spirit now? What's this guarantee about the future? And we pick this up in the, the next verse, verse 14. Verse 14. The promised Holy Spirit, verse 14, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. What is the deposit of the Holy Spirit indicating? Well, it's pointing to our inheritance. And so this inheritance must be significant because Paul in his letter indicates two things, that it is a seal, so it has God's personal pledge, plus there's a deposit. So there's two ways that Paul is saying this inheritance is coming your way, pledge and a deposit. We understand how deposits work. We sign a contract for a house and we end up taking possession in six weeks ahead, but the contract stipulates that we pay a deposit. Let's say it's 10%. And this 10% guarantees that the rest is coming. It's only a partial payment, normally quite small. There's a substantial balance of 90% that is to come. And this is key to understanding the Holy Spirit. He is the promise of more to come. He is the promise of more to come. Let's think of those first two blessings, adopted as children. Well, we've only got a partial payment of that adoption. There is more to come. We don't experience God in all his fullness as a heavenly father, but one day we will. Our relationship will be so much deeper and richer and more wonderful. And the Holy Spirit is a guarantee that you've just started to learn the wonders of being a child of God. And we think of redemption, rescuing from from sin and death. And both of those are only partial. We are rescued from sin now. Its grip is broken in our lives, but we still wrestle with sin, don't we? Sin still impacts from the outside, and even inside we wrestle. But the Holy Spirit is, is a deposit saying, one day you will be completely free from sin. It'll just be gone from your presence. The outside impacts, the internal wrestling that you have will be completely gone. Think 10% deposit now, 90% to come. 1% now, 99% to come. And what about death? Yes, we are freed from the power of death, but one day each of us will die. Unless Jesus comes again, each of us will die. But the deposit of the Holy Spirit saying there's more to come. Eternal life is guaranteed now. But when you pass from this life, you will have life like you will never believe. It will be wonderful and glorious. And so this is why the seal of the Holy Spirit acts as a deposit. Think about it like this. Receiving the Holy Spirit is like having an engagement ring placed on your finger. Now, as soon as that happens, the relationship changes, doesn't it? Instead of boyfriend and girlfriend, as soon as that ring goes on the finger, something changes, and it changes for the better. But it's only temporary. Because something better is to come. The marriage and all that means. And it's the same with you and I. When we receive the Holy Spirit, straight away our relationship with God changes for the better. But it's temporary. Not temporary because it's going to break away or break off. 
but temporary and that's going to be so much better. So the Holy Spirit is like an engagement ring promising us this most deep and wonderful and rich relationship with our Heavenly Father, which we will celebrate at the banquet feast in the heavenlies, of which communion is just a small indication of the wonder of that feast. So that is the deposit. That's our inheritance. And there's much more to the Holy Spirit than just being a seal. Uh, The Holy Spirit assures us of salvation. The Holy Spirit empowers us to follow Jesus. And there's a whole thing of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But in this focus here, it's the sealing. It's the sealing. The guaranteeing of the better things to come. But some of you may be thinking, this is all well and good, Douglas, but actually I'm not quite sure that I have the Holy Spirit. I'm not quite sure how how that feels or what that looks like. I mean, look at Pentecost and Acts with all the speaking in tongues. I've had nothing of that. Have I got the Holy Spirit? Now, this is actually an important question, and a number of people in church, regular people in church, actually wrestle with this because of maybe what they read in Acts, and maybe they have some Pentecostal friends, bless their hearts, and they'll certainly tell you what the Holy Spirit looks like in you. But how does that work with you and I? Well, be assured of this, that if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. No matter how you feel or no matter what experience you have or you haven't had. It's impossible to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. You can only be a Christian if you have the Holy Spirit in you. And let me show you a couple of verses that reinforce this and hopefully assure you that you have the Holy Spirit. Now, the first verse is Romans 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is all about conversion. And notice conversion is both a head and a heart thing. In your heart, you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Physical, historical resurrection and not some sort of spiritual, vague, emotional thing. This is We're talking raised from the dead, touch Jesus' wounds, see his scars type resurrection. And the second thing is you engage your brain to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. Now, that's the two criteria for salvation. You believe in your heart, God raised from the dead. You, you confess with your mouth, Jesus be Lord of my life, and you are saved. Great news, isn't it? Just fabulous news. On one hand, it's the easiest thing in the world, (laughs) but on the other hand, it's the hardest thing in the world to humble yourself before the living God and say, sorry, I've screwed up. Jesus, be Lord of my life. That's only half of it. How does this connect with the Holy Spirit? Well, it's the second verse that makes that connection between confessing with your mouth and the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Again, this is Paul writing. No one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. It's a bit of a simple test, really, isn't it? But it's in the Word of God. You can only say, Jesus is my Lord, and mean it from the heart, if the Holy Spirit helps you, if the Holy Spirit is in you. Doesn't matter how you feel, 
doesn't matter what experience you have or haven't had. And God does give us powerful experiences of his presence in the Holy Spirit. So, you know, I encourage you to lean into that and say, Lord, I want to know more of you. And if there's anything more of this Holy Spirit, show me. But God deals with us each as he wills. And we can't force or layer our experiences onto other Christians. The word of God is clear. If you confess that Jesus is Lord, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And he's that seal who will help us enjoy all the wonderful gifts of the living God. So let's just pull this together. What have we learned today? Well, in the few previous few weeks, we've seen that the spiritual gifts, the spiritual blessings from the heavenlies have been firstly adoption as daughters and sons, and secondly, redemption from sin and death. And today, we've seen that the third blessing from the heavenly realms is the, the gift and the seal of the Holy Spirit. And that this Holy Spirit was promised to us. And part of the reason it was promised to us because we screw up God's gifts all the time. And if we haven't got the Holy Spirit in us, if we aren't depending on him, we will even screw these wonderful gifts up. And so he has promised the Holy Spirit who's taken that heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. The second thing we've looked at is his Holy Spirit is seal. And we've looked at that authenticates us. The transaction of the cross is complete. We have security and protection. And we also have a guarantee, a deposit for the future. Because the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing us that what we experience in part is just a shadow of the wonder and the glory that we will experience as we lean into Jesus and look to follow the Holy Spirit. The seal of the Holy Spirit, what a, what a gift, what a joy, what a delight, what a wonder, what an anticipation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you bless us and bless us and we think of that grandfather with the iPad and we think, yes, that's us. (laughs) It's certainly me. There are times when I have just so wrecked your gifts, either out of ignorance or just because of sin's grip on my life. But we thank you that you can free us to enjoy your good gifts by the seal and the gift of your Holy Spirit. Help him, Lord, to be free to move in our lives. May we not grieve or restrict him, but we may be open to the move of the Holy Spirit. May we keep in step of him as we follow Jesus as Lord. We pray this through Christ and his precious name. Amen. 